right, and so welcome to our interview segment this week. Uh, we are very fortunate to have uh, a local titan of industry here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Allison, uh, one of our co-founders of Bread Hive, uh, everybody's favorite or should be favorite West Side Bakery. Oh, that's tough to say with West Side Bakeries. <laughs> I don't know if we can claim that. It's my favorite, and I'll, I'll claim it for uh, for us for you on your behalf. <laughs> so, uh, Allison, thank you for joining us this week. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, you can call me a Titan. Just. Uh, I was thinking back to one time at a potluck, somebody uh, called me a good capitalist, and that's that's <laughs> that's where we stop. Right? Yeah. No, no, it's just just a titan of industry. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I for sure, <laughs> like indubitably. <laughs> All right. So, Allison, um, you know, Bread Hive on the west side. Uh, what's what's the address on Connecticut Street? It's four hundred two Connecticut Street, it's between Fourteenth and Fifteenth. It's right by the corner store gas station. Um, and down the block from Burning Books. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so let's talk a little bit briefly about the history of Bread Hive. Not to, you know, not, not to make this like a, mm -hmm. a history lesson, but maybe, maybe you should know about, maybe people should know about the history of some of the businesses they like to attend. So talk to us about Bread Hive. How did you come into it? How did um, this whole thing come to be? This wonderful, wonderful bakery and uh, place where I get just the best bagels I've ever had in my life. Um, when I moved to Buffalo, I was looking for friends and people to hang out with, and I ran across a calendar of free events called the Buffalo Barn Raisers Calendar, put together by um, a couple people, and we ran into it at the old Buffalo Reuse. They had it on the counter, mm -hmm. and one of the things on there was a bread baking workshop, and it was being run by these people, um, an outfit called Fancy and Delicious Baking Collective, and I went to one bread workshop. I was like, I like hanging out with these people. I've baked bread at home and they were like, we're about to go into a summer of bread production um, and we need a baker. Um, would you be interested? And this was second or third bread workshop maybe. And I was like, of course, you know, I need things to do. I would love to stay up all night and bake bread with you people that I sort of know. Mm -hmm. um, and then we went through a couple seasons of uh, pre-selling bread um, and selling bread at farmer's markets. And then those of us who were still with the project, um, Realized that we didn't like, we, we all had, you know, reasonably okay jobs. I was working a part-time job at a cooperative credit union. Um, but we realized we, we didn't love our jobs. And between the three of us at that time, uh, we figured we had enough know-how um, to quit our day jobs after, you know, two years of writing a business plan and fundraising and doing a private offering and a public offering and uh, incorporating incorporating as a worker co-op and writing artisan bread recipes from scratch, which is like so ambitious when I think back on it. Um, but it made a ton of sense to us as like mid late 20 year olds. Um, and we opened as wholesale only on Bain street and our five year plan was to open a, a cafe and we did it at year two and a half because, uh, our beloved cafe space on Connecticut became available and, uh, the rest is a history of just Titan ship. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's, that's, well, that's we're, we're, this is just uh, like uh, setting up for the like the hour long History Channel special about Bread Hive. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, yeah. When it when it all went wrong. Right. right. <laughs> Leading into people like bringing in like their like first year like Bread Hive bags uh, to the guys at Pawn Stars and seeing how much they're worth. <laughs> Probably you wanna you wanna bring out your old Bread Hive lapel pin. Yeah. If oh yeah. You're really looking for the rarity real heads no um so you guys you're, you're so you mentioned it worker-owned cooperative so for the listeners who 
you know, might not know what that means or, or even me, I, I have a general idea, but, but help, help me out here. So I know a business, I know there's a person who owns a business, they sell goods and or services and you give them money, et cetera. Help me out with what worker owned co- cooperative and what that sort of business model um, means. Um, we are incorporated as a New York state 5A uh, corporation, which means that the only people that can own the business legally are the workers at the business. Um, for us, it does not mean that every worker is an owner, um, but everyone we hire has the potential to become an owner. We have an onboarding process um, if it goes right. Um, we have, uh, when somebody becomes a worker owner, they have an equal stake in the decision-making, the equity, um, the rights to the business, um, and we sort of split it all. We also split the stress. We split the, the benefits. We... Mm-hmm. Uh, pay out profits to all of our staff, but the owner dividend is there. Um, And overall, it is a way to run a workplace that's still operating within capitalism, thus the confusion at the potluck. Um, Because we do do pay our bills, we do put money away, we do um, operate in that way, but um, there is not any of that money going to an owner off the premises that isn't, you know, also taking the trash out. there's no, oh, we need to call the owner and see if we can buy this mixer. It's like, no, we'll buy the mixer. Or mm-hmm. no, here's why we can't afford the mixer right now. Mm-hmm. Um, that was our main motivation in opening the bakery. It wasn't because we love bread and wanted to, you know, make it. Mm-hmm. Specifically, it was because we were like, we want to operate a worker co-op. We want to we wanna work for a worker co-op, basically. Like, wish we didn't have to do all this work to start one. Um because we were one of the first ones in Buffalo for a long time. There, there's a history of co-ops here, but we are one of the first worker co-ops that started back up after sort of a, a mm-hmm. pause in that activity. Um, then we were like, well, I guess, I guess we start one, and I guess we're baking bread now, so it might as well be a bakery. <laughs> well, I mean, if you guys wanted to really get anti-capitalist, you're right down the street from the armory. Why don't you break in, steal some stuff, <laughs> and then seize the means of production? You know you're on cam- you're on microphone. <laughs> right, Ryan, if you're listening, edit edit this out. Or FBI, if you're listening, we already know we're on your watch list. But, uh, 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 as we've seen, if a federal agent's listening, they're not going to do anything about it. Hey. Oh, was it um, was it scary? I mean, like, was it scary to? jump into like a, a worker owned uh, cooperative situation. Cause it seems like it, it, you know, there's obviously barriers to entry and um, seems like it could be a little intimidating at first. I mean, it was scary in, um, in the way that starting any small business is scary and financially risky. Um, I feel like it was scarier because we had, uh, we financed it um, through community investment. So we just sold shares to about 60 people. Maybe maybe about 40 people initial startup and more to open the cafe. So it was kind of like we had this list of all the people we'd be disappointing if we, like, fucked it up bad enough. Um, and we see them around town all the time. Um, but, and then, yeah, I mean, it's, it's scary to start any business. And it's scary to, you know, put the rest of your life on hold. Um, my co-founder, one of my co-founders, Emily, was very smart and, in the way she approached it. And she was like, we have to do this now. Like none of us have kids. Two of us don't have debt. Like only one of, you know, one of us was married at that point. It's like, we need to do this before major life commitments eventually crop up. 
if we want to do this with the least stress possible, which is still a ton of stress. And what I learned about myself in this process that I had no idea before is I'm very okay with risk and I am, I would have never said I was ambitious. And then I look back and I'm like, oh, like that's <laughs> textbook ambition. But <laughs> I didn't think it was. I was like, I don't know. This seems like it makes as much sense as anything else I'm doing. You know, it's funny that I think about what was that place that before Mr. Sizzles that was in uh, horse, horse Feathers uh, uh, Cafe. Perks. Perks. Yeah. I, I think of what a what a contrast um, your business model was versus the the folks at Perks who did try to unionize around that time and they just shut the fucker down. They're like, nope, nope, we're not going to have a Perks anymore. Right. <laughs> you want you want to have a, a union or you want to have like more worker control here. Uh, we're just not going to have that business. So it's it's very interesting um, uh, to kind of compare. Whereas you guys popped up and you said, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna be the workers. They're gonna come together. We're gonna make this and mm -hmm. um, have this worker owned co op here. Yeah, I mean, the other part of the motivation was we've got to do it so people know you can do it. Mm. And now I'm there's more conversation about worker cooperatives than I've heard since we opened. It's like a you know it's a national topic. Like uh, the India Walton campaign brought a lot of awareness to it locally. Uh, it it was it was a talking point. And you know it's like whenever whenever you hear about like a shitty industry or a shitty boss or skin going down. People are like, work around co-ops. You got to own it. And it's like, okay. Yeah. But also it's, it's harder too. like it c corporate conversions to worker co-ops are very hard right now. Like they don't need to always be hard, but mm -hmm. I, that's what, that's what my co-founder Emily is doing right now is that, uh, in Minneapolis. So she's, she tells me about it all the time and, you know, sort of vague terms. Cause we're usually catching up about our kids and stuff. And then she's like, Oh, you know, here's what's frustrating me about this co-op conversion. Anyway, like, how's your dog? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there are businesses that are actually, that are converting to this model then they're going from being like incorporate or help me like incorporate yeah. as business to a worker own co-op. Yep. Um, it can look like selling it to your employees and having them form a co-op. Uh, there's, there's a couple, I mean, in some ways it's easier than starting a business from scratch as a worker co-op cause you already have a workforce. Um, and a lot of them have already worked together. I think one of the tough things about um, starting starting up a worker co-op is bringing on worker owners. Because for us, we found that we need to work with somebody for about a year before we know whether they're going to fit in. Because mm -hmm. at that point, there's been enough time. Like, we thought six months was long enough, and then it wasn't. So mm. a year tends to be the sweet spot of whether we know we can trust this person, like, as a partner. Um and then, you know, if you're, if that person decides not to come on or it doesn't work out, like the onboarding is really long and the building trust is really long. And, you know, some people just aren't interested in like some of our, some of our best workers, some of like my favorite people I worked with, like they, they were like, no, thanks. Like I've heard your pitch and you know, I don't want the stress in my life. And I'm like, Oh, I respect that. Like mm -hmm. I get that. They're like, but I want to work here. Yeah. It's like, great. Please do. I wish I could, <laughs> I wish I could give you a lot more responsibility, but you know, you don't have to have it. That's, that's cool. So do you think that that model would work for the Buffalo Sabres? <laughs> okay. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know that much about sports. I would have had to bring my partner, Andy, um, who's also over at the wholesale bakery. Um, if you're listening right now, hello, it's Monday. <laughs> Andy, it's a different Monday and we're listening to a podcast at work. <laughs> Andy, you got to let us know what you think if the Sabres <laughs> should go to a workroom co-op right. model. Um, <laughs> so, so talk. So, we, we got into the you know the the model of the business, but now let's talk about 
operating a, a you know a, a bakery a um a cafe i mean this is this is no small task here uh, i would imagine the day-to-day stuff with this and and the right well, and, and like you know you guys started you know a couple years after a major recession and then led into you know uh some crazy times politically which led into then a pandemic uh so so Basically, like the easiest time to be running a business, from what I can tell. <laughs> it hasn't been boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's funny too because the three founders, like none of us, had really worked in food outside of like here and there for a little bit. Um, since then, we've really gotten a clue about a lot of stuff. Like we definitely figured out how to run a wholesale bakery very tight. And then when we went to open the cafe, we have, um, I think, of. That opening crew, a lot of whom are still owners, uh, we've got a couple from Lloyd, used to be from Lloyd, uh, got a couple from the Lexington Co-op Prepared Foods mm-hmm. Zone. Um, we have we have some food experience people that we were able to just kind of be like, how do, how do we set this up? Um, but I feel like what got us through like the interesting times, let's say, like the, the radical swings in how you have to run a business was being worker-owned and always being working next to each other all the time. So it's like, while we're rolling bagels on the bench, I'm like, you know, okay, these wheat prices, like, what are we thinking? And my partner is right there, like, mixing, and they're like, oh, you know, here's what I heard. Um, And you don't have to, you know, call a guy Mm. and be like, hey, Reg, I know you're on a boat. Have you thought about the wheat prices or are we fired, you know? like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think part of it is um, we tend to be a little bit more open to asking for help like whenever we figure out that we need it and since we're since we're a co-op and since we're around since we're just these people people do tend to you know help us and tell us what they know which has been you know how we've been able to do any but um people in the food business in buffalo i mean you know there's a range between great and not great but the great people are incredible and we've been lucky to work with them and meet them and just like the help we've gotten from just you know, people that I would never have known mm-hmm. without getting into food. Like Tony from Coulter Bay, one of the nicest people. I didn't even really go to Coulter Bay. Like I would never have, you know, known Tony from Coulter Bay was like the salt of the earth, you know, mm-hmm. like random stuff. Yeah. You guys have seemed to have built like a broad network in Buffalo and Western New York. Um, did that just happen organically with the people you brought in or did you really go seeking out other businesses and, like, tell me about, like, how you became such an entrenched institution in the community, because clearly at this point, Bread Hive. Right. I mean, now you're a titan of industry. Right. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, did you go looking for it or did yes. it come to you? Oh, yeah. That was intentional. We were opening up. We we're like, nobody knows who we are. We don't know anyone. And we can't pay for advertising. We can't even pay for an air conditioner. Mm-hmm. Um, what do we have? We have, uh, you know, Instagram, Twitter.com and some not a lot of spare time, but enough. So I started listening to uh, the old Buffalo Eats podcast. Mm-hmm. I listened to Grain of Salt podcast. I like, I like made a mental map of who everybody was and who they knew. I went to industry night, which used to be a thing. Um, my friend Krista used to organize that mm-hmm. among other people. And that was, that was huge while it lasted just to start meeting those people. And then I, was so on top of restaurant news. I knew what was opening. I knew what was closing. I knew chef names. I knew all this stuff. I don't know any of it anymore. I have three kids now. I know nothing and I do not leave the house. But um, <laughs> whenever I was intrigued, you know, I would I would try to 
figure out a natural way to meet these people, whether they were at a farmer's market I was going to be at, whether, I mean, public espresso, I stopped by the Horse Feathers Winter Market and had to go search the basement until I found them in a back corner. And I was like, hi, we've, you know, riffed on Twitter together. I'm Allison. <laughs> and um, that's been one of our longest standing collaborations with those guys. Um, just from sort of like being creepy and hunting them down, you know, out of, out of friendly conversations, right. of course. Like I'm not just like creeping, mm-hmm. but, um, a lot of that, uh, and then, and then people have found us too. Um, there's the, the camaraderie from the food industry where, you know, you're at a farmer's market and you're like, Hey, I'm, I'm Allison from bread hive mm-hmm. and meeting, uh, you know, forgetting the name of dopest dough, but like, you know, just instantly just like, Oh, like, talking shop and being mm-hmm. like, Oh, if you never ever need help rolling bagels or moving furniture, like call me. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's with most places and most small producers like us, it's instantaneous. Just like the, the openness people have. Not always. Yeah. not But, but it, mostly it, it, it reminds me a lot of, um, and I think this is still true to a certain extent in Buffalo, um, of the camaraderie that like microbreweries have. Oh yeah. Um, you know, where, you know, and, they share staff and recipes and ideas and they're bouncing stuff off and, you know, uh, you know, and, and yeah, they're, they're working long nights coming up with new stuff. And then after their 14 hour shift, they spend three more hours making beer at home that they share with these guys who work at a different brewery. So when I lived at the co-op house on Unwooded North, which is how I started knowing about co-ops in general. Um, one of my roommates was Robert, who's now the brewer at community beer works. And, we would be making bread all night and he would be up home brewing beer all night. And we would be like, you know, talking shop and eating French fries. And it is wild to me that, you know, in our mid twenties, we were just hanging out in the co-op house kitchen basement. And now we're both Titans. Mm-hmm. Yes. Respective <laughs> Titans. Uh, I love that so much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Wait, you're, 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 you're our personal Titans, like community beer works and bread hive are like my just personal signposts. Right. Right. It's, it's, I was like, we literally made a list when we opened up. We, I was like, we want to be talked about like community beer works has talked about like Plato Dale has talked about and maybe like two other places that I'm not remembering. It was just like, this is, this is the list we want to be on and we got to figure out how to get there. Yeah. What's what, And uh, we're going to save all of our Patreon money to commission a, like Mount Rushmore for like Buffalo uh, Titans <laughs> carved into the Niagara Gorge. Oh, into the gorge. Yeah. It's not going to be a butter sculpture? <laughs> no, no. It's not, it's, <laughs> we're going to carve it into the gorge uh, on the Canadian side. Right. Uh, right so right. we can see it from Lewiston. Oh, okay. So talk to, talk to us about like in the food business, I guess, like you come up with dishes. And I was always, I was always curious, like how do you come up with the dishes or the, the sandwiches or the bagels or whatever, like what, what goes into that process of, you know, is it just like pure experimentation? Like, Oh, this is good. Or is it something like we need, um, this kind of bagel or this kind of bread or this kind of sandwich? Um, it was a little different for the bread development and then the sandwich development. So at the bread development, um, we were able to look around in 2012, 13, early 14 and be like, what are people not making in the Buffalo city limits? Mm-hmm. Nobody's making sourdough really. No one's making a, a, a sourdough baguette, an artisan baguette. Um, no one's making, you know, this and that. And bagels, pretzels at that point were like unheard mm-hmm. of. Um, so we uh, added those to the roster. And then when we opened the sandwich shop, um, a couple of our owners... And the ones with the experience with prepared foods basically just sequestered themselves for a couple months and emerged just like, what about these? <laughs> um, so I don't know a lot about <laughs> that because I was like 
I was sequestered painting the ceiling of that building and doing, you know, Mm -hmm. doing various other menial tasks. And then these sandwiches just appeared and they were great. Um, And that's another thing. I think we do it differently than a lot of places do. Like I think a lot of places people come in with their own recipes and they have their book and they, you know, they keep it to themselves and that's an asset for them. Or they come up with a recipe and then the restaurant owns it forever and there's there's different dynamics and there's different different ways that plays out and that's fascinating and you'd have to talk to like a restaurant restaurant person about that um and i will listen to it with interest but with us yeah it's partly like you know we need a turkey we we have a vegan friendly menu but it's not a vegan menu we have a lot of vegan stuff but you know it's about half and half i want to say maybe a little bit less than half vegan Mm -hmm. so we're like we need some solid vegan sandwiches that we can sell to anybody we need some a solid turkey sandwich. We need a solid roast beef sandwich. Uh, we want a solid sandwich that's not vegan but also doesn't have any meat on it, you know, just to be in there. We need some breakfast sandwiches, something with lox, mm. you know, something with... Uh, I think we opened without bacon, which is ludicrous to me now. <laughs> um, the other thing that really limited us is our kitchen. Y'all have both seen it. It is so small. Mm-hmm. That building has its pluses and minuses that that space that we're making food is tiny there's not room for a flat top like yeah. there's that old stove we have to pile the bagels on a weird rack we have one small toaster and like that's all that fits we have kept looking at it and barring something major that's all we can get in there yeah that's, <laughs> it it, it reminds it makes me think of like uh every time i stop by uh godot like oh yeah like you know uh roy and and kevin are like such a tiny space there like like i like i'm surprised that they get as many offerings out in the course of a week as they do because they have no space and you guys have you know no space there as well like it'd be a dream to have like as much of a kitchen as like five points we have a lot of prep space in the back but the the active hot kitchen like making a bagel sandwich there's nothing so, like, we can do stuff like make our own vegan mayo and prep a bunch of vegetables and stuff. But, yeah, that's why people are like, you can't fry an egg and put it on there. It's like, no. No. Like, right. no. Right. You want me to put some diamonds on there? Like, <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to gild it? Like, I don't have these this equipment. Like, do you want me to, oh, you want it on French toast? Like, I got no, none of these things. We have, like, two pans. <laughs> are there, um, just on that topic, are there any plans for expansion or is there... You know, I know we're not, we're not ruling it out. Um, but it's probably not in the next, like five years would be the earliest I see it happening uh, unless there is something outrageous in the meantime. Like Mm -hmm. if the perfect building is up for a perfect price, which is not how real estate is right now. Right. Because we made a list. We're like, what would we want? It was like, we would want to be able to bake bread and sell sandwiches in the same building, which we can't. We have... A nice situation on Baines. We have a another. T- we rent a tiny building over there. Our landlord's in town. He's chill. Rent hasn't gone up in a while, which is what makes the whole thing possible. And then uh, we own, or two of the founders own the building on Connecticut. So we're like, we'd have to own the, own something that we want to expand to. It'd have to be big enough for a Baines Street and a Connecticut Street operation to be in it, plus more customer space. So it'd have to be big. Mm-hmm. It would have to be on the west side because we're not Elmwood people. We're not hurdle people. We're not, we don't, you know, we're not, we're not moving out of the city. We all love where mm-hmm. we're at. We all love the mix of people. We love the culture. Um, that's where a lot of us live. Right. So it would be silly to move farther from, you know, where, where we are. Um, 
And, you know, we want something with character. We want something with a loading dock. Like, we want something with some outdoor space. And then, you know, you look at this list and you're like, okay, this doesn't really exist on the west side right now. So where would we move? And then our first expansion, opening the cafe from wholesale, um, was so stressful and so bonkers because we had to double our workforce we weren't amazing managers of other people because we were in our 20s and we were managing like four people and then we were managing like you know 10 mm-hmm. and figuring out our operations so like that's you know it it's not comfortable to be kind of bad at your job and bad at managing people in their job because the whole goal of the business was to create good jobs that people could enjoy having at least while they have to be there be able to pay well. And we couldn't really do any of those things for that first year and a half. Um, So that was rough. So it would have to be the perfect situation for us to do it again. And you know, when, when you're a business in Buffalo and you have any sort of, any sort of visible success, you'll get letters from like, you know, like the city of Lockport or like whatever being like, do you want to open a location here? And we're like, no, but (laughs) (laughs) thank you. (laughs) Right. Appreciate you. Or like, you know, if different different developers will be like, hey, like we're building this building. Would you want to open another bread hive on the ground floor? Like we're flattered, but no. Mm. Those are kind of the reasons why. But I mean, on the same hand, like on the other hand, it would be nice to do everything in one building because right now I, I do delivery a couple times a week and you're just driving back and forth on Richmond bringing bread from Bain Street to Connecticut Street. <laughs> right. Like a couple times a day. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's not ideal. Now I, I have to. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask because I love in the cafe the uh, the decorations there are some of my favorite in Buffalo. Um, one, who was in charge of the decorations, and two, where did you find the hippo holding the bread? Because I love I love the fucking hippo with the loaf of bread. I don't know if you know if you're, what I'm talking about off oh, the top of your that, head. Emily's mom Lisa painted that for us. Okay, so she was our secret weapon. She painted. The dogs eating sandwiches. Yes. She painted the hippo. She painted everything that looks like that that sort of deranged painting <laughs> style, but it features products that look suspiciously like ours. That was all Lisa Stewart. She's incredible. Um, a lot of it was just us going to Goodwill and mm-hmm. seeing what there was. A lot of it was like I just like went in my stash of weird stuff and framed it. Um, when we don't read Yelp reviews because we just don't. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have to we don't care we and then you know if you read one one review that's like the bread is too light then you're trying to make the bread darker and then somebody's like the bread's too dark so you you have to know what your own quality standard is and hold yourself to it and then you're just like i don't mm-hmm. i mean that's how i do it i'm like i can't mm-hmm. look at this it makes me deranged so back when i used to look at it every so often my favorite yelp review was like Checked it out. The food was great. The people were super nice. The service was great. The coffee was awesome. Great time there. The art. The art was so disturbing. What is that? Cat clown? Like, one star off for the art. Four stars. I was like, (laughs) 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 I was like, I need to get off this website. But my my problem with stuff like like Yelp reviews or any of like those rankings is that uh, you know, sure, like you know. Somebody who, you know, like Andrew Glarno could jump onto Yelp and give you a, a decent rating. But then also like somebody who thinks like chefs is the epitome of Italian food <laughs> also has the exact same access to Yelp. And so like, that's why like, you know, you'll see like, oh, the top 15 restaurants in Buffalo based on TripAdvisor. And I'm like, this is gonna be terrible. It's gonna yeah. be so bad. Yeah. It, um, 
I feel like my problem with Yelp too is that people feel like they have to give a positive and a negative. And some places, like for me, there's no negative. Like yeah. I remember one time I was I was meeting my friend at Essex, and she was like, "Oh, I've never been there." So I looked up the Yelp reviews, and I was like, "What is this place?" Like that's such a divided opinion. And I was like, "That's funny." So I looked it up, and like somebody was like. I don't know. It confuses me. Is it a restaurant? Is it a bar? I can't figure it out. I'm uncomfortable. I was like, how, how are you, how did you type that all out? Can you imagine Mackie giving one flying fuck about <laughs> no. the Yelp review of Essex? No, no, no. <laughs> like Mackie just like, yeah. Okay. Like I don't even know how to, I'm sure he knows how to use a, a smartphone, but, but like he's on Instagram. Yeah. Is he? Okay. Yeah, he's, I, I follow him on Instagram. He doesn't post much, but no. he's there. Uh, no, no. Uh, the only way I could see him is like if he thought it was funny is if he like if like he just put like a, a TV screen in the bathrooms and just just rotated through Yelp reviews of yes. Essex. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we used to have our meetings there. We used to have our weekly meetings there. Or Blue Monk. Mm-hmm. Oh, poor one out for Blue Monk. Oh Jeez. my god. Oh, if we're if we're talking about places that I miss that are closed, Blue Monk is way up there. Yeah. Next time we have a. Let's talk about some places episode, Allison. We'll have you back on. Yeah, we'll talk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my Blue Monk, man, I, I missed that so bad. Because uh, uh, I lived, you know, I lived in Elmwood right off of Elmwood itself. And I would go down to Blue Monk constantly. Uh, I, at one time, I told this, I had the day off of work and so did my friend. So we went there for lunch. And then we ate upstairs, came down, had a couple drinks at the bar, had enough drinks that at one point he turns to me and goes, well, it's late enough. If I buy, do you want to have dinner? And so we had dinner the exact same day at Blue Monk. Yep. Nice. All right. Well, Allison, thank you for joining us. Um, again, Breadhive address for, is 401 Connecticut? It's 402, but 402. if you go to 401, you'll see it. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it. 401 would be what, like the laundromat across the street? Oh, I think I think the laundromat is no longer there. Oh. Been, there's been a little bit of turnover in that building because it was bought by a Canadian. Mm. Um, and renovated somewhat. So, so we're, we're keeping our eye out over there. It's just going to be a depository for all dressed chips. Ooh. 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 Um, that sounds so good. Um, <laughs> the, the Canadian version of an armory. <laughs> right, right. Um, where can we find Bread Hive on the internet or on social media or what have you? Is oh, it- yeah, we're, we're posting. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter. We don't post on Facebook anymore, but we do have a page there. Our website is sometimes updated. Honestly, the best way to catch up with us is to um, just swing in when we're open, which is 8 to 2 every day except for Tuesday and Wednesday right now. Or at the Elmwood Bidwell Farmer's Market, which is our favorite time of year. Um, also on Saturdays, 8 to 1. Um, honestly, probably Instagram is the best bet of how to... I mean, I don't know. Like, it, it, we're, we're a bakery. Just mm-hmm. come come eat a sandwich there sometime is probably the best way. You don't really need to stay, like, glued to glued to our updates, I don't think. We're not very good at consistent updates. Um, go to go to Bread Hive. Just go... Yeah. Just well, pop in. Have a have a sandwich. Have an Aaliyah. Have some, a Shania. Yeah, somebody will be working the counter who 50-50 it's an owner. And mm-hmm. if it's slow, we're happy to tell you random stuff about co-ops or Connecticut Street mm-hmm. or uh, any other trivia. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if it's quick and you try to ask us about co-ops, you're going to get a short answer. You're right. going to get, yep, we're one. You know, <laughs> your food's going to be over there. <laughs> yeah, you said you said slow day, and I, I struggled to think of a time in the past, geez, 
four years that you guys have had a slow day that I've been around, it always seems like the line is almost out the door. No, go in. It's raining. You'll be fine. Go in. It's raining. Mm -hmm. Go on a Monday morning. Um, Thursdays have been slower. We used to have some very slow Wednesdays. We used to have some Wednesdays when we opened where we would barely make 500 bucks and we're like, is this going to work out or are we going to have to, you know, Mm-hmm. shut down sell everything we got most of our equipment from restaurant auctions from places and bakeries that had failed so that was also an interesting way to start up was with this perspective of like well <laughs> right. this could be us at some point you know pennies on the dollar for all of our mixers <laughs> well i i as somebody who's been there multiple times extremely hung over on a saturday morning <laughs> um i can tell you you're not hurting for business uh with with that crowd oh, here's another interesting thing about the food business is that places that are busy are not always places that are financially successful. When a place co- place closes down and people are like, oh, they were busy all the time. It's like, that doesn't, you know, it's all the business stuff. There is so much where you're either losing a bunch of money or not making enough money. And if you don't have somebody on who's good at business, I mean, that's the thing about you got to, you got to be making the money to pay the bills and put it in the right places for the taxes and all this stuff. And my founder, my co-founder and I used to have arguments about what was more important, being able to make good bread or being able to do the books right. And I'm like, do you know how many mediocre food places are still in business and have been in business for decades mm-hmm. and make authentic Italian food? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's about can, can, you, can you keep your books straight? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, um. like, I, I like chefs because you can take three small kids to it. Yeah. And it's not going to create any sort of ruckus. That's a great point, Jim, that we have no frame of reference <laughs> right, yeah, for. So, <laughs> yeah. Us I, on our high horses. No, I mean, I mean, I, you know, I was the one taking the shot there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are more than welcome to come back on with us and take shots in the future, Allison. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Allison from Bread Hive, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. This was fun. Right. Thanks for sharing your air conditioning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs>